Welcome to the Tim Fowler Show, where production is paramount and we discuss the tools, time, and people associated with getting jobs done and making a profit. On today's episode of the Tim Fowler Show, we will be talking about managing growth with the help of special guest Kevin Schultz from Vision LLC and YZ of Minnesota. Alongside Tim Fowler, I'm your co-host Steve Wheeler. Here is the Tim Fowler Show. Hey everybody, it's great to be back on the show here. Welcome. I just want to reiterate the same thing I say for every show is that we're always looking for guests and ideas. And I'd like for you to send any of those to me at Tim at remodelersadvantage.com. We have found another client to interview. So that's going to be exciting uh, when we do that. Uh, I'm still looking for a trade contractor that someone could recommend that may be able to help us understand the working relationship between a contractor and the trade contractor. And I got a request from a carpenter who has joined the carpentry world at like 45, 46, 47 years old from another industry. And he wanted to know if we could get somebody on that's done training for people that are coming from another profession and just want to get into carpentry. And so if you have any experience with that, if you know a company that's done that well, uh, please let me know. I'd love to get that that on and uh, maybe that can help a lot of us in a lot of different ways. So as of today, so there's a lot of things uh, in this world that can destroy a, a remodeling company or a building company for that matter. We've, we've been through recessions right now. We have the pandemic going on. But one of the things that we don't always think about in terms of really doing damage is growth. And growth without control can just tear a business apart. And so what we've seen in the last uh, couple of years is significant growth in our economy and a lot of companies are struggling to keep up with that. So now growth within a remodeling company is almost always controlled by the amount that a company can sell. Now, sometimes this is planned out. Sometimes companies go, we are going to sell this amount of work. And that allows the production side of the company to literally plan for the growth. Sometimes the growth is what we might want to call accidental, or maybe a better word is spontaneous. In other words, the phone starts ringing, salespeople start selling, and then all of a sudden, the production team is overwhelmed with work that has to get done because of promises that have made been made by sales. And it just totally doesn't destroy the production side but it really taxes the production side. There's more work, there's not enough people to do it. And so it's a bigger, bigger challenge. What we'd like to see is companies that manage the growth. So that's what we're gonna be talking about today. Uh, We're probably not gonna hit every single thing that needs to go into managing growth, but we're hoping that our guests will give us some insights, some ideas about how they've managed the growth and and have done well with it. So Steve, let's go ahead and get started. Let's do it. 
So Kevin Schultz is the Vice President of Revision LLC, a residential remodeling company located about 15 miles west of downtown Minneapolis in a lakeshore community called Wyzetta. Kevin was born into construction as the son of a concrete forming contractor. He is currently in his sixth year with Revision. Kevin met the owner, Sven Gustafsson, when he was building his personal home right next door to his. At the time, he had been working from home for three years as a general manager for another small remodeling company. Sven mentioned that Revision had been experiencing growing pains and felt that Kevin could help alleviate these pains. He met with the managing partner, John Daly, and the rest is history. In his time with Revision, they have improved every aspect of the business from top to bottom and enjoyed steady growth. They recently celebrated their 10th year in business, which is a great source of shared pride with the two founders, Sven and John. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Thank you, honored to be here. The fact that someone wants to hear my advice means I'm getting too old. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a great way to say it. You know, maybe I, you know, people do tell me they enjoy the podcast. And so maybe I go like, is that because I'm getting too old for this stuff? (laughs) That's a fact. Anyway, so uh, let's jump right in. So give us a little bit more information about revision and particularly in the context of like, who does the selling? What's the production team? Uh, made up of what's your average job size those kinds of things because I think that'll impact the rest of the conversation. Sure so a little more about the company Um, it obviously is a remodeling company we focus on uh, boutique projects that we would consider uh, to be high-end and we focus on that market in our area. We have a staff of about 12 people. Um, We are a birth child of the new construction company Stonewood who has been around for many decades. the need for a remodeling division came about when customers started returning to us that we had built homes for many years in the past. And so a lot of the growth initially came from that. Uh, people that wanted to have us come back and finish their basement or remodel their kitchen because it had started to, to look uh, antiquated. Um, that On top of that, those folks were telling their neighbors good things about us. And so the requests started pouring in um, you know, about 10 years ago. Uh, Stonewood did a little bit of remodeling under that brand name for a while, but the need to, to divide it off and make it its own entity was pretty apparent. Um, as, as you know, Tim, uh, from RA, we run lean and me, uh, <laughs> small, small uh, staff and a huge production, uh, you know, quantity. Our billables are unheard of for a company that's this size. And so we operate as a paper only contractor. We don't have job soups. I don't have a lead carpenter. We're hundred um, percent subcontract based for all the tasks on a project. Um, I run five project managers uh, currently. I also have a small projects division that we call specialty projects. And that person is wearing uh, two hats right now. They're also my service manager, which I think is probably not going to last much longer uh, (laughs) just because of the volume of work that's coming into that thing. As far as sales go, you asked about what our sales team looks like currently. We just have one salesperson, which is also sort of mind boggling for companies that I sit with in round tables. Um, John Daly is incredibly talented. And uh, he has taken the lion's share of all sales. I've assisted him at times when he gets a little overburdened. I'm comfortable with sales. I'll jump in and help develop a lead if I really need to. Um, but currently, that's that's our sales staff is, is Mr. Daly, our president. So, what is the what is the average job size in terms of volume that you're doing? You say boutique, and that always sounds small to me, but I, I don't think it's small. No, it's not. Um, it's a tough question to answer because we produce. 35, 40 projects a year. 
and the smallest of which could be something for a returning customer that, you know, we did a million dollar job for years ago and they want us to do their master bathroom. So average job size gets a little watered down um, by those smaller projects. I would say our sweet spot is 500 to 750,000. Okay. Um, the full gamut, what we work on we, this year in 2020, we have four projects that are in excess of seven figures. Um, one that is at 7 million currently as a contract. So, wow. you know, yeah, you're right. Boutique is a small word, but boutique means special and, and unique. And that's what we're going after. So, so just to clarify one thing, the project managers, do they function as subcontractors or are they employees? They are staff employees. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So one of the questions I had right off the bat that I think uh, will help educate everybody, do you feel like your ability to manage the growth has at least some foundation in the fact that you don't try to deal with jobs with in-house employees? That in other words, that you're subbing out all the actual work on jobs. Do you feel like that makes it easier for you to manage your growth? I think so. I think it cuts out a lot of the difficult decision making that management has to make when times get soft because uh, we're, we're already so lean. We're not asking a lot of folks to go home or to be laid off. Right. Um, it it's just feels different not, not calling a subcontractor to a bid walkthrough because you don't have the work. Right. It's up to them to go find more work. So that's, I, I see your point there. That okay. does, definitely makes us more flexible. All right, so give us a little history about the growth that, that you've gone through. Tell us where the company was when you got there and, and then what is the, kind of give us the blueprint of how the growth has, has proceeded over the years. Yeah, so I, I will focus mostly on the time since I've been here. Um, yes. the, time, the time prior was, was you know, fairly organic. It happened with a, a small partnership, a fledgling relationship between Sven and John and John handled the remodeling division by himself uh, with, with one project manager, one helper. But um, when I got here, the prior, the prior year uh, would be 2014, they uh, built about six and a half million, just under six and a half million. Uh, 2015, I came on board and we jumped uh, two million uh, just in that one year uh, span from 2014 to 2015. Uh, 2016 was basically a, a repeat of 2015 at, at a little over eight million. Uh, 2017, which I hope we can talk about more later, was what I call the unicorn year because we did uh, we went from eight million to eleven and a half million. Wow! And uh, yeah, we'll talk more about that growing pain. Um, 2018 was just a touch under 10 million, and 2019 uh, a touch under 13 million. All right. And currently, for 2020, we closed out our third quarter pacing with 2019, so about eight and a half million at the close of the third quarter. Okay. All right, great. So you, you mentioned the unicorn year, so I'm assuming we're going to kind of deal with that as a separate thing. But give us a little bit about how you and John, is, is Sven still engaged? Um, he is to some extent, um, probably mostly when, uh, when we're integrating software pieces into the, the company. We, we just recently sold our software company which was called Build Tools, right? And that was a you know brainchild thing from Sven about uh, oh, 12 years ago. He came up with that and has developed it. ECI recently acquired it, and okay. uh, so he's heavily involved with that. Uh, he really is the the leader on this on the sales for the new construction side. So right. 
he basically functions as John Daly does for us as, as the primary and only salesperson. Okay. So when you and John, when you join the company and you're obviously projecting growth, you guys want growth. There's a desire for growth. Some companies don't want to grow and we understand that completely. What just, I mean, I'm kind of asking in a vacuum here because I don't honestly know what you did, but I'm kind of interested. What did you guys talk about? What was the the plan for actually seeing growth to occur within that remodeling world? Well, we had to come to the agreement that he was going to fragment his position and, and allow me to not only be in control of it, but own the accountability for it. Um, you know, for him, for him to be the founder and uh, managing partner takes a lot of humility to say, I can't do this anymore. And uh, you've been doing it for a long time. I want to see how you do it and help me. And uh, he's done a great job of that. And he's given me the keys to what I need to do for authority. And um, the fruitage has been there. Um, he was able to, instead of focusing on putting estimates together and scheduling production, he was able to go back to try and sell clean and sell hard. Uh, just focus on his number one talent, which is definitely sales. So that's kind of how it started to answer your question. Um, okay. He and I Good. divide he and I divided and conquer. Okay, so did you actually have to rewrite some job descriptions and things like that so that it, it, it just was very clear who was doing what? Oh yeah. Yeah. We're still doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sure as you, as you move forward. So back at that point, how many project managers did you have on staff or were there any, or were you responsible for all of it at that point? And then you added project managers. We had um, two. John had just recently hired his second one right before I came on board. And um, they were fairly inexperienced guys, um, hard workers. Um, one of them is still with us, which is great. And yeah. he's come a long ways. Um, I did run a couple projects myself uh, when we first, I first came on board. I think more than anything, it was just to prove to Sven that I knew what I was doing. Right. Um, so I took on a, you know, a couple large projects. One was next door to our building. It was a sort of a commercial slash residential office redo for a gentleman. Um, ended up being a million dollar office renovation. Right. So that's kind of how I established, you know, my moxie here is showing my what I was doing. Are you worried about the future of your business? Are you stuck and unsure about what step to take next? Do you have any doubts about your ability to lead through this crisis? Whether it's business, finance, or production, we have the experienced professional coaches standing by to help you and your team battle through these uncertain times. To learn more about our coaching program and to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with our head coach, Doug Howard, visit remodelercoach.com today. Now back to the show. So one of the big questions in my mind, and I've been thinking about a lot lately because I've seen a lot of companies that you, the sales just has outstripped the production. So how do you figure, how do you determine like when we're going to hire another project manager? Is it, is it because everything's so stressful we just can't do without? Or is there some you know, maybe unwritten thing, but it's just a feel. I just kind of curious what you feel like is a good way to think about like, when do we need one more person on board? Because you've gone from two to five. So somewhere in that 
these years, you must have these six or seven years, you must have thought about like, when do I need somebody, another project manager? Um, you know, first of all, I guess I start by looking at sales and see how they're performing. Um, again, I've been doing this a long time. The previous company I was with, I, I looked at things through this, this lens as well. I wanted to know for sure before I added staff that sales was doing a clean job of selling. Um, you know, salespeople are hardworking. Um, they work all different hours of the day, the week, but for them to double their production in a short amount of time and suddenly overload a production department means that they're working double time and at the same proficiency that they were before. It's not possible. It's not sustainable. Nobody's Superman. So I guess I look at their quality of their work product first and say, is this sloppy? Are they working so fast that they can't keep up? And then it tells me, do they need help more so than me? Right. Um, and I've been that helper. I've been that person that helps John throttle himself to keep his work product looking good and, and being sharp. If the work product is clean and the jobs are going to production clean, then it's pretty simple to know when you're overloading your people. I keep a, a, a chart, you know, on a spreadsheet that just shows me how many projects I'm, I'm loading up on them. I call it my production load chart. And uh, I know what I need for billables out of all these gentlemen uh, to make my budget work each quarter. So if I see something, if I see a soft month coming up, then I know I can tell John Daly, hey, we got a soft month, let's, let's ramp up. Is there something you can sell to fit into this, this gap that I've got? Um, if I look at you know, January or February coming up and I see I've got seven or eight job starts in one month, I can't sustain that with my current team. So we're gonna start talking about onboarding somebody. Kevin, as revision has grown and, you know, I see certain companies where let's say the prior five years, they did a, a million, million two. This year they did 6 million because of a four or $5 million project that they just kind of happened to stumble upon. And uh, did you see any of this in this growth pattern where you did have bigger projects where you maybe had to bring on people for that project, but it wasn't consistent with the, growth pattern of the company? Have you had to manage through um, kind of larger growth patterns along the way? Yes. Uh, yes and no. Um, the large projects like that tend to pace on the production schedule out further than a year. They go, I mean, we've got one that's in this, it's in its third year of production. So that just averages out throughout, you know, month to month for billables mostly. Um, we've got the luxury of having the new home construction side. So if I, if I have a need that's immediate because of some, you know, whale job that comes in, I can talk to Sven and say, Hey, can I borrow one of your guys to run this project? It gives me a little flexibility rather than having to hire someone just for that project. Yeah. Good. So I want to go back just a second and clarify or make sure I understand. And maybe it's a little bit more just to emphasize to this, to the podcast audience but it sounds to me like you and John and, and you as head of production and, and getting things done, you and John have a relationship where you have the ability to say to John, either speed it up or slow it down in order to make it work for the production team that I have. Is that, am I reading that right? Yeah, to some extent. I mean, we collaborate on Monday every week and go through those types of discussions and see where we're at. What's the pulse on, on the future? Um, he's completely transparent with me on what his production goals are and his budget goals, um, profit, gross, and net. So, yeah, definitely. Um, 
our org chart puts me actually uh, as his controller um, it, it, as far as his seat as salesman goes. Um, I've shared that at my RA roundtables too, and a lot yeah. of people think it's awkward, but um, as a position of oversight, looking at the big picture, how else am I going to give that person the good direction they need to succeed with passing on the baton when the job is sold? Yeah, yeah I've tried. I've really tried to promote the idea that a production manager, and I know you're a little bit more engaged in the business than just production management, but that a production management and a salesperson are effectively equals and that they should have the same amount of authority. Now, the business owner is a little bit different, but when the business owner is the salesperson, then they need to have that relationship with the production team that really works collaboratively rather than, hey, this is just the way it's going to be. So I really, I think that's a key thing to look at in this podcast is what is that relationship between the person controlling production and the person controlling sales and how do they work together to make sure that everything is successful. So that, that that's fantastic. Thank yeah, you. I think that's well said. I think it's, it takes a, a certain amount of humility on the, on the part of both people, John and I both, um, you know, he's, he's definitely my employer, but when it comes right. to who's the boss in a certain scenario, we, we bow to each other's skill level and, and our level of uh, ability, I guess. Yeah, so I know I can hear, uh, you know, I don't know if you've heard it on a podcast before, but I can hear the audience saying, like, well, how many jobs does a project manager have running simultaneously within your company? Or do you break it into produced dollar volume per month or something like that? Tell us how you kind of see this is a good load for this project manager? Um, all the things you mentioned come into play. Um, experience level, of course, is in there as well. Um, a five or six million dollar project is not going to be everyone's cup of tea. So I've got a couple guys that I would refer to as senior project managers that are you know really key for those type of projects. Um, it really does come down to a, a how much I can bill on those, those people. They got to they got to float the boat. They got to cover their salary with what they're billing. Um, so smaller projects, I've got guys that are working on five projects. Um, that's probably the, the capacity level just from client personality and the kids and the dogs and knowing what's going on in these homes. Right. Um, other, other projects are just one project manager or one project. I've got, I've got that scenario right now as well. So, okay. So is it really a matter of saying we're projected to do $10 million of work this year? I have five project managers. So each one has to produce $2 million worth of work, which divided by 12 is, I can't do the math right off the top of my head, but is it really sort of that simple to see like what should a project manager be creating in terms of dollars per month? Uh, not really, because they all have different compensation agreements with us. So, you know, the, the, the entry-level guy that's, um, you know, still learning and putting on some years on his resume is not going to be expected to produce as much. Um, I need about a million dollars a month in billing, you know, so how that granulates out to the team. Okay, depends. cool. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about the, uh, the unicorn. Tell, what, what, what's, uh, what's the unicorn there? Yeah, so 2017 caught us off guard. Um, more leads than we knew what to do with. Uh, it was exciting for sales to just attack them all and just just devour, right? Um, we, speed, we speed sold them. We speed estimated them. 
and that was not a good recipe for success. So going into 2018, we had all this whip work carried over. I think that's when I joined RA and I threw a report on the desk at the round tables that showed that we'd produced $18 million in the last 12, 12 months. And they just like, how does that work? You know, and it doesn't, our, our, uh, our GP and NP were down and it wasn't, it wasn't good. So we, in 2018, consciously made the decision to just throttle back on sales. Um, John says, I can't do this and I can't sustain it. And I'm selling dirty. Um, not for the client's aspect, we're going to follow through and do the right thing, but just for the production team, they're not having fun because there's so many shortfalls in the details, right? Um, so was John, was John convinced that this had to happen based mostly on net profit loss and, and GP slippage and that sort of thing? Or uh, because, because again, I deal with a lot of business owners and they just don't seem to be motivated by that information. And it's, it's mind boggling to me that they're not, but they don't seem to be motivated to change or to say, Hey, we can't do this again. Well, I think having a good year, the year prior 16 was a good year. So when they look back and say, Hey, tax man says that was good. And tax man <laughs> says, this is bad. Um, <laughs> pretty simple math. And it, it ends up being emotional math at some point because their, their work-life balance is not good and yeah. we're just not having fun anymore. So yeah. Um, two things happened in 2018, I think, that corrected that unicorn problem. Um, you know, the domino effect of me just focusing on estimating only meant that I wasn't being a good production manager. Uh, there was no oversight. These guys were running wild out there. There was no, no quality assurance. Um, we ended up buttoning these projects up and making them look beautiful to fit our brand, but it cost us uh, right. you know, to do that. So we, we started rethinking how we hire people. Um, we rethought our culture. We onboarded a one of Gino Wickman's uh, minions from the EOS traction thing. Um, and then we got on RA, which was great, you know, share, share some wins and losses with a team of guys around the table and, and they had a lot of great takeaway. Um, so 2018, we, we actually switched the team up quite a bit. We let some guys go that were just not good for the culture not good for our, our future and um, hired some, some great guys. Uh, we've got kind of a new team, but their depth of experience is exponentially more than it was before. Uh, 2019 grossed out, uh, gross and net, better than any year prior. But it wasn't necessarily our biggest year when it comes to billables per seat, you know? Right. Um, it's just a really, really well throttled year. And this year, I mean, knock on wood, I can't believe that it's because of COVID, I can't believe it's pacing like it is, but um, yeah. we, feel, we feel pretty blessed. So, Yeah, a lot of companies, uh, you know, back there in March and April, everybody was really concerned. And then all of a sudden the floodgates came loose and, uh, oh, yeah. and they're, you know, again, like I said in the introduction, struggling to produce what, what they have uh, to go, go for. So I guess just kind of wrap this up. What are you anticipating in terms of growth in the future and, and what kind of plans have you put in place to kind of see some of that growth uh, be, be controlled, I guess. And I think what you just said about the unicorn year is that when you get out of control, you, you face those losses that are inevitable. It's just, it's going to happen. And, but when you have control, then you have good, you know, good GP, good net, that kind of thing. So what's the, what's the future look like for you as we wrap this up? Well, uh, coming out of 2019, we felt solid in our processes. We, we sold clean, we earned clean. 
and uh, you know, we were rewarded for that. We felt like we could add about another million, million five onto our budget for this year. And so in preparation for that, we interviewed uh, for an estimating position to fragment my responsibility further, which you know, RA had given me that feedback for a couple of years in a row and thought I was crazy that it didn't have an entire <laughs> estimating department. Um, but you know, we, we didn't do that initially because of COVID, we held back on hiring from some guys that we actually, we were excited to, to look at as potentials. But, um, you know, in June, July, uh, we did end up hiring in that position. So it's still in its early stages, but we're already seeing the fruitage. We've got a guy that's a desk jockey, a grinder. He's great with numbers. He just wants to estimate and turn that wheel. So that's, that's our future proofing for the following year. Uh, we'll see how that goes. If, if that, you know, if we exhaust John Daly and he can't keep that position <laughs> busy, then he's going to have to hire a sales associate or an assistant, right? Right, right. Yeah, I guess, I mean, I just, I appreciate the fact that you said, you know, we're looking for an additional 1.5. Therefore, we're going to hire someone. And it doesn't always have to be a project manager. And I think that's some of the mistakes that companies make is they're seeing growth and they go, oh, we got need more people out in the field. And that may not be out in the field. It may be that office-based person that allows uh, maybe what, like you've said, cleaner packages, those kinds of things to occur. And then uh, the growth can occur, but there has to be some plan. And I think that's the, the thing that we want to really get across to people today. Yeah, I recommend any company to sit down and start with future-proofing their org chart. You know, imagine what seats you're going to need to reach that next level for an annual budget goal that you think is possible. And then build a company to meet that future-proofed org chart, uh, use core values to hire people and release them if they need to be, and uh, keep running clean, lean, and mean. That's fantastic. Man, Kevin, I just want to thank you so much. Uh, it's just some words of wisdom, experience. I, I love, I think the listeners will love the fact that you're not perfect, you know, that you guys, you know, you had that year that you experienced a challenge, but you responded to it in a real positive way and, and got back on track. I think that's a, a great testament to the fact that, you know, it doesn't always work the way we want it to, but at least by planning, we stand a chance. Yeah, well said. Great. Kevin, thanks so much. Steve, Tim, thank you. It's been a Take been care. A Go plow some snow. All right, sounds good. Go ahead. <laughs> Tim, this is obviously a great topic. I think uh, anybody that's been in business and has uh, elevated forward has experienced something along these lines, some uh, more profound than others. But uh, this is really an important topic, and I think it's something we'll revisit a couple times over uh, on managing growth because we're, I think companies are experiencing it as we speak. Yes, I think yeah. a lot of people are having what what Kevin called the unicorn year. Yes, uh, and 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 I I don't know if you caught it. It was a little bit subtle, but he just he he just said, you know, we speed sold, and we speed estimated and packaged, and he said then his words were it was not good. GP <laughs> went down, net profit went down. Obviously, when GP goes down, net goes down. And so that's the result of not planning for that growth. In other words, just the, the, the calls are just coming in. So we sell, sell, sell. And, and I think that's a huge thing for people to, to remember. There's two more things I want to just hit really. Yeah. Quick. One is that relationship between production and ownership slash sales. 
And this has always been a, a bugaboo of mine where when the production person doesn't have the authority to say stop, yeah, it, it, it tends to deteriorate. And it's not because anybody's bad in the equation. It's just that it, it tends, sales tends to overrun production if we don't have some of that authority in there. And I think John uh, Daly did a great thing by saying, hey, you have this authority, you yeah. have this control. And I want you to help me control the company as opposed to him saying, I'm in charge. This is the way it's going to go. And you just have to live with it, which I'm afraid sometimes is the way it comes across uh, in, in companies. And I think that's unfortunate. Yeah. And I, I think the verbiage that he's developed, I haven't heard it before, but just uh, saying selling clean. You know, it's really the opposite of everything you've ever talked about when if you are speeding up selling and, um, you know, you're just handing off poor, um, maybe not charging as much because you're trying to get through things or charging enough. And then you're handing off poor packages. Uh, So I like that verbiage. I also like his thought around future proofing the org chart and to just look at what it would look like. Some people stay so focused on this on today, getting through today. Uh, but what's, you know, there's going to be many tomorrows. So that was the third thing that I wanted to mention too. And my, my immediate reaction was almost always we create an org chart of existing conditions. You know, in other words, we're going to create an org chart just to show everybody who's in charge of what, yeah. who does what. And so now we have an org chart and it is one of the exercises that we practice in the production manager roundtables is everybody has to submit an existing org chart and a three-year look ahead org chart. And so, and that org, that three-year look ahead should be like, all right, where do you expect production to be? Where do you expect sales to be? And you can do it a year. You can do it two years. doesn't really matter. But the key thing is realistically, how are you going to be able to produce those things? And then How do we get those people on board to make sure that it actually happens? So I love, again, the terminology future proofing, I think is a a great term. Just like you said, you know, selling clean is a great term. And I'm sure we're going to hear more about those uh, as we move forward. Awesome. Well, this has been a fantastic show. Once again, we want to thank Kevin Schultz for joining us today. And we always want to thank you for listening to another episode of the Tim Fowler Show. And remember, at the Tim Fowler Show, we're working hard to eliminate it is what it is from your vocabulary. This has been another episode of the Tim Fowler Show. Want to hire Tim and fast track your growth? Visit remodelersadvantage.com consulting to learn more. And if you'd like more information about Roundtables, our world-class peer advisory program, please send me an email at steve at remodelersadvantage.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.